Ice, ice, baby. This is the focus group. They're all business, except when they're not. It's the focus group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the focus group. Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. John T. Nash. Be sure to catch us here every Wednesday with a repeat of just the audio on Saturdays. You'll find all of our media housed, including this show and our podcast, TFG Unbuttoned, at focusgroupradio.com. While you're there, you'll also see our sponsors, including Deep Discount, which has been a partner of ours here for quite some time. We appreciate your support of them by clicking on their logo and start shopping away. Hello, Mr. Nash. I uh, appreciate Ice Ice Baby. It brought me back to the uh, the good old days of, I think, MTV, perhaps? You know, MTV, Vanilla Ice. Wasn't it Vanilla Ice? I was, at a, I was at a birthday party over the weekend, and they were playing it, and I just laughed. It was a bunch <laughs> of, you know, as much as we love the 80s music, the 90s were a big part of what we did, yes. too. And uh, I, that was a, Ice Ice Baby, was that late 80s or? Late 80s, yeah. And, and then do you remember the, yeah. um, the, the group uh, Millie Vanilli? No, yeah. And weren't they the ones that were accused of, like, basically they were lip syncers and the real Accused of lip syncing, but, you know, quite frankly, another group that's very, very popular that never got in trouble for lip syncing. Um, lip synced all the time, according to somebody on the inside we knew quite well. So, I, I oh. don't... Uh, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. It took me a yeah. second, but I'm like, okay, yeah. Based in New York. Da, 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 da. So, um, yeah, but, yeah, so there you go. I am. Um, I Speaking found me, some... before you move on from music. I um, was listening the other day to a audio stream, and Tina Turner comes on, and oh. it was the song "Private Dancer." I'm your private <laughs> dancer, dancer. You know, and I could sing the song. I know every song on that album. That was her comeback album. Yeah, that was like that was mid '80s, right? '85, yeah, like 1985, '86. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was a great, great album. I I laughed. This was almost a caught my eye, but I couldn't. Um, decipher whether it was a scam or not Uh-oh. and it had it had to do with music so you know i love annie lennox yes and uh so apparently some intern at a radio station i guess it was last summer in la had heard an annie lennox song on the internet and thought she might have potential so contacted <laughs> annie lennox to say that they'd like to learn more about her and her music and thought that perhaps she had a career. She, you know, she, she might, might do quite well. And uh, was signed by this intern or whatever from this L.A. radio station. And Annie Lennox posted it and said, oh, I'm in. <laughs> she says, I might have a chance. <laughs> but they, someone had to tell her that, you know, supposedly that this was... Now, someone said it might have been a scam and they were trying to do this to, to, um, to pop singers through either AI or something to try to scam these people. But when Annie Lennox posted I just died laughing. But... It reminded me of the time. Remember, you discovered Coldplay about a couple of years uh, after I literally they won the Grammys. Was gonna say, yeah, I came in one day and I said to my assistant Robin, "I found this incredible new band." And I started playing a <laughs> new song. Band. You mean Coldplay? <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, Coldplay." And she goes, "They won the Grammy last night." And I was like, "Oh." So I could believe this was not that this could maybe have been a real thing where the intern really thought she discovered Annie Lennox, right? Of course, you weren't an intern for a music company, which I think if you had been, you no. probably would have known Goldblank. And I'm thinking, you know, this intern. But of course, it's like the like the employee I had who, when I tried to uh, let her know that Billie Jean King was standing over her shoulder, uh, was concerned that she wasn't black, and that's who Michael Jackson sang about. So. 
Billie Jean is not my love. Where is she? Where is she? She's right behind you. Where? I don't see her. She's right behind you. She's not black. Do you sometimes miss the earlier part of our career when this crap was going on? And we were just laughing. Like, oh, I do. Yeah, because we didn't know any better sometimes, or sometimes we did, and I just miss some of those days. I miss all the different, and I've you know done it myself, I'm sure, but I, I always love the mispronunciation of words or you know uh, phrases or something. There was a there was a guy at uh, Timberland McLean, Dennis McLean, who used to sit in the back, and I would hear him with the other like folks with the agency, and I got a kick out of it. Somebody would say something stupid, he'd go, "Ooh, get that down," and he would <laughs> he'd have them write it. You know, one of them was we don't want the outback to carnivalize sales right. of the Forester instead of cannibalize. Carnivalize, get that down. And um, or he doesn't need to be pigeon toed pigeon toed into a corner <laughs> for his career. He's pigeon toed into a corner. I'm like pigeon old, you mean? <laughs> pigeon toed. You know, and by the way, it never <laughs> ceases to amuse anybody to tell the story. Does the bike have lips? <laughs> That is, you know, another one. I found that the other day. I found that. Did you find the artwork that led to that? I found the whole thing. So they, you know, they sent out. So this was the agency was giving a a um a creative pitch. brief on, a, a pitch on different different um, campaigns they could do with Lance Armstrong. And one of them had this forlorn bicycle that was upset <laughs> that Lance had left it for the Subaru. Of course, that's very believable. So the um. So the bike was in these different locations around Paris, like just discarded at a cafe or thrown in the street or something. And then the bike would talk. Thought and, bubble? Um, talk? Like it was, there was going to be a voiceover with the bike there, static, and it was going to be, you understand. You're a creative guy, so you get it. But the very literal sales guys, I still remember, like, so I don't get it. The bike's upset? It's like, yes, Lance has left the bike. He's moved on to a car. So the bike's talking? <laughs> yeah, well... You know, somewhat, yes, the bike is, has thoughts. Well, so does the bike have lips? <laughs> I busted out laughing. No one else really thought it was that funny. I thought it was hilarious. You know, <laughs> does the bike have lips? But, Tim, when that happens and you're an agency guy, those boards just get put aside. There's no way you're ever going to sell that concept when someone asks if the bike has lips, right? Well, There's the speechwriter, no I found out years later, the speechwriter... Who was deadpan during that? Because his speechwriter was always in everything. He was just sitting there deadpan, and he was had quite a, you know, Roger. He had quite yes. a personality. And I found out years later, he had that whole thing posted in, in, in his office. He just had, does the bike have lips? <laughs> he loved it. <laughs> was he the, were you the one, or was he the one that would also put in to every car show speech? A certain a mm -hmm. certain cadence of words that would throw off the presenter, and you would just all mm -hmm. chuckle about it. Yeah, every time. Yeah, every time. And I remember the very last time, um, the president of the company looked at me and goes, "That a boy?" <laughs> it was usually done for the Japanese. It made it very difficult. I, I to think say. what this exemplifies for our listeners is <laughs> there is a whole sometimes a whole backstory going on within companies and with their vendors like we were a vendor we were a trusted vendor so i was in on some of these jokes sometimes but well there was a mento that sat in the corner for 12 years of my time going to japan in you know, japan talk about yeah, how clean it. clean the offices are clean cleanly japanese very clean and uh you know back in 92 someone kicked a mentos over in the corner and until i left to do three it was still there 
And, and didn't you have other executives who would, you'd come back and they say, Yes, the Mento there. Everybody the would look for the Mento. The first thing you did when you went to the office in Tokyo was look for the Mento in the corner. <laughs> Never been. It was there for 15 years. <laughs> I remember the first time you ever told me that story. And then when you follow it up, because Tim yeah. would follow up this story with like, Mentos so-and-so there. win, the Mentos is in the corner. So-and-so win. I went back, the Mentos is in the corner. Just One time funny. I got flown to Japan just to be reprimanded for no lie, 15 minutes. You, you know how long back. it takes to you know how long yeah. it takes to get to Japan. And I was with my boss at the time, Bill, and I we, we were in a room we were never in before. We were kind of scared. It was like an interrogation room. And it was a sofa with no no legs on it. And so he and I are both sitting there with our legs and our chin, and the tea woman comes in and she brings the tea and backs out of the room and bows and whatever. And then he just looks at me and goes, Are we gonna get a lap dance? <laughs> <laughs> And they came in, they yelled at us, wagging the finger with a translator, and then we were done. And then he's like, let's go get sushi. And we spent the day in Tokyo and then flew home. And then you went to Nihai. <laughs> what was the, uh, what's the American thing? Nihai Shinboom or something? Or... No, that's no, no, their we, newspaper. We, the newspaper is like their Wall Street Journal. No, we went to Tokyo. We went to America Town. America Tokyo, Town, right. Is, yeah, which is like going to Chinatown in the U.S. Went to America Town in Japan, which is quite interesting. I tell people to go. I don't know if it's still there. I think they might have dismantled a big chunk of it. But it was That's uh, odd, right? Well, you know, everybody is all very, you know, very it, it, it certainly was a, I found it hilarious. It was a stereotype of the U.S. that, you know, they sold Western clothes and cowboy hats. And, you know, they had one <laughs> store called the Pearly Gates and one was called Junkie American <laughs> Clothing. And, you know, it was just, uh, it was an odd, lots of bad English t-shirts and things. I wish I bought more. But, um, yeah, America Town. But I looked. I actually looked for it recently, and uh, it doesn't look like it still still exists. But we'll see. I'll have to. I'll have to ask somebody. But you know, t- Japan's become a huge. It's the number one travel destination for Americans. Yeah. Which I was. Well, they become about more travel friendly. But, yeah. You know, they have they, a lot of their signs now. They do in English and in Japanese, which helps. Yeah. Especially if you're driving around the country. But yeah, I would like to go someday. Frankly. I would like to go as a tourist, not as a, mm-hmm. you know, I would go for business, which anyone knows who, who does business travel. It's a very different thing. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of times you don't get to really experience it. But the little times I would be on my own, the Japanese people are very friendly, very polite, um, very welcoming. And uh, I did enjoy those aspects. But a lot of time it was just business stuff and you're in yeah. a bubble, you know. It's like anyone who comes to the U.S., you're in a bubble. Mm-hmm. What, was that? What, did, what did I see? They're, they're, they were housing immigrants. Did you see that at the Boston airport? Logan airport? Yes. Yeah. And they had temporary areas set up for them. And I don't know what, they're gonna, what we're going to do with, with, with this disaster that uh, seems Apparently, to just keep unfolding. Apparently, we're going to wait until the next election is over and he'll to get see it all who fixed. solves the problem. Because well, even though there was a bipartisan effort with some of the staunchest conservatives putting forward their ideas, wasn't good enough. No. Of course it wasn't, John. Where you been? Only in America, right? Yeah, where you been? So, uh, so what caught your eye this week? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. I think this caught my eye will be very much appreciated by Tim because it involves <laughs> a character, a voice talent that created some of our absolute favorite characters when we were kids. Oh. So it's about Mel Blanc. And Mel Blanc is known as the man of a thousand voices. He did Bugs Bunny, Yosemite Sam, um, I, Porky Pig. I mean, the list goes on and on. In fact, 
to kick it off, I found this little clip on YouTube, an audio clip that I think you'll get a kick out of. So I'm going to play it. Here we go. I am known as the man with a thousand voices. Shall I do my stuff? Yes, go right ahead. <laughs> That's a joke, son. That's a joke, honey. Yeah, that's a joke. Who really wants to get into the act? But that was only in the 999 voices. Shucks, I know I've got another one. Well, I'll think of it. <laughs> so he leaves. All right, so this this popped up. It, it's from a couple of years ago, and the story is actually old. But it's uh, it, it involves um, Mel Blanc, and uh, Radio Lab broadcast a story a while ago, Radio Lab WNYC. And um, basically, it was an interview with Mel Blanc's son, Noel, who is also a voice actor. And Noel Blanc tells a story of a terrible car accident that his dad, Mel, was in that badly injured his father in 1961 as he was driving home along Sunset Boulevard from a job in San Francisco. He was driving an Aston Martin. <laughs> Why not? You're Mel Blanc, right? He collided with another car on Dead Man's Curve, which is a famous part of that road. He was almost killed, but he slipped into a coma. Blanc's son and wife spent two weeks at his bedside trying to revive him, but got no response. One day, after, about 14 days after the accident, one of Blanc's neurologists came into the room he said, I'm going to try something completely new today. He went to Mel's bed and asked in his ear, Bugs Bunny, how are you doing today? There was a pause while people in the room just shook their heads. Then in a weak voice came the response anyone would recognize. Yeah, what's up, doc? Which <laughs> <laughs> is amazing, right? <laughs> the doctor then asked Tweety if he was there too. And then oh my God. a very weak voice said, I taught, I taught, putty tat was the reply. It took seven more months in a body cast for Blank to recover. He even voiced Barney Rubble in, his, in the first episodes of the Flintstones while lying in bed with a microphone dangling from above. And this radio lab piece includes excerpts from the episode, blah, blah, blah. But it, the wow. neurologist explained it this way. He said he has a theory that Blank was such a hardworking professional that his characters lived, protected from the brain injury, deep in his unconscious mind. The Jeez. doctor's questions must have sounded like a director's cue. Essentially, Mr. Blank, you're on. <laughs> and there you have it. So that I just thought that was an amazing thing that, that, that drew, drew him out of the coma was the own, his own voices that he used to do. Do you think he was paid, paid well? Oh, Mel Blank was, he was a prolific voice talent. Yes, I think yeah, he so made think he was several appearances well. on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I think he had a very good life. I think he provided for his family and had a really good life. Yeah. You know, there was a story, you probably saw it on, it was on 60 Minutes, probably a year ago, with Lady Gaga with Tony Bennett. And they were talking about as he was going through either Alzheimer's you or dementia. You mentioned this to me, Tim. This is a great story. But it was the same sort of thing where he couldn't communicate and was really um, the, the perception that he really was not aware until he got on stage and he would hear the music and start singing and never miss a word. And could sing through his whole songbook, which again must be similar to this, right? Where it was hardwired uh, into the brain somehow. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I don't know. The main we don't know enough about the brain, I guess, do we? Oh, 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 you are so right about that. But that Lady Gaga story is so much like the Mel Blanc one. I loved it because I, I remember when you told it the first time, and I did a little R and D on it, and sh and your the stories are accurate. They would put him. He would hear the piano. He would hear the music cue. Boom, yeah. the song came out. And he, would, he was doing duets with her, and it was yeah, perfect. it was on. Yeah, it was amazing. So, it's, uh, I wish I could use more of my brain. 
<laughs> Here we go. Here we go. I like to be, I, well, I, I wish I was one of these kids. You know, people could sit down and play the piano. My friend Matt does that. You know, he can play it by mm-hmm. ear. I can't, I, don't, I can't do chopsticks by ear. I mean, I'm, you know, I have a horrible time on it. The on only talent I could ever claim to have is that if you put me in front of the te- television and you put the first uh, Star Trek episode on within the first Four to eight seconds, I will tell you the name of that show, the title of that show. So you can still do that? Because I think you did oh, yeah. do that to you in college. Yes, they did. Uh, we would I we would go up to the dorm lounge <laughs> and it was a contest and I always won. It was like Nash got it. <laughs> it hasn't made yeah. me a dime, but it's a it's well, an interesting talent, yeah. What instrument did you play? You played the tuba, didn't you? Or a French horn? What I started with trumpet, and my uh, professor, my my music teacher was uh, a Mr. Rhodes, whose son was a famous guitarist named Randy Rhodes, who had actually died at a young age. But I started with trumpet, went to tuba, and then I learned baritone, because it's all the same. Do you think you could play it now if you picked it up? I probably could blow it and make a couple of notes, but in terms of playing it, I have not Reading even looked music, at music. No. Any music interest? In a long time. No. Any interest in You know, actually, right after high school, going to college, it was that was over. It's like yeah. that, right? Yeah. I, 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 I still, I, you know, I had a big, big plans. I was going to learn the piano. I tried finding a piano teacher down here, and uh, she never got back to me. Somebody do lessons. But I just want to be able to play, I don't know, I want to play like Elton John right away. Something. Well, you know, that's my friend, I have a friend named John who wanted to learn piano, but only he wanted to learn how to play a few songs. songs. And so he hired a teacher to, that taught him how to play those songs. And that's it. Now, he's graduated since then to understanding sheet music, and he's actually a very good piano player. But wow. he began years ago with learning two songs. That's you could it, do it, man. Tim. Yeah. Matter of the bagpipe. I always want to learn the bagpipe, although I'm not so sure that'd be so popular. There's a guy down here that's a rocket scientist, no lie, from NASA. They, they still, he still helps. And he taught himself the bagpipe and wanders around the boardwalk and drives everybody crazy. But um, I thought maybe I'd go to him. <laughs> he teach me the. Why don't you do the? Why don't you go halfway and do the accordion? Well, you know Richard plays the accordion. It's air you know, and it's a keyboard, right? Yeah, we could do an umpa band or something, perhaps. Mm-hmm. That's an idea. Huh? Are you doing an accordion? He could. Band? He could write us a song while we sell while we sell Bunky's ice cream on the boardwalk. He on could the be playing the accordion right next <laughs> to us. Buy the ice cream. Rum, rum, rum. <laughs> Well, you know, there was an accordion school right next to to Subaru in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, or in Collingswood, and we never uh, we kept trying to. They were never open. I don't, I'm sure there's a huge demand for accordion school, but I wanted to. What uh, <laughs> does Karen Allen? I convinced her she and I were going to sign up, but every time we'd go, they were closed. But that would have been something. Karen would have been a perfect accordion companion, I think, right with a cigarette. Yeah. So, um, so my story co- that caught my eye, and I I've got to test it out. And it's McDonald's. So there was a story about McDonald's, and we tease in the opening, Ice Ice Baby. But apparently McDonald's sells ice. Did you know that? No. So you can get McIce. I don't, I'm calling it McIce. But so many people don't know that you can grab a bag of ice at your local Mickey D's. So they said uh, McDonald's obviously been around for 40 years. It says you may think you know all the ins and outs of your local McDonald's, but there are some employee secrets that are still getting discovered. Now apparently they also offer birthday cakes. I didn't know that either. Did you did you know they have Bert McDonald's birthday no, cakes? No, and I'm wondering is that per franchise? Like is that something that's like chain wide? Well, that's what I was trying to figure out because they said for the um they said you can actually buy bags of ice in McDonald's, but you've got to check because some of, you know, they're as you said they're franchised. 
And, uh, but generally, they're pretty inexpensive. So they offer cubed ice for between $0.99 cents and $1.50 a bag, which when you compare it to your local convenience store or something or the gas station selling it for 2 $3 a bag, they said it's very, um, a very good deal. And they said that a lot of people, instead of running to a busy grocery store, getting to the gas station, you can just go through the drive-thru and order ice, bags of ice. And it's a pur- they said it's a purchasable item on the McDonald's menu. And uh, they said it's a total steal. Not all McDonald's will have the amazing price point, but they should all sell ice. But they might have a different price point depending upon where you are. And they said another secret you should do is if you get home and you wanted to use it for drinks or something, and they said this is with any ice, take it and did you know this trick? Take the ice from the plastic bag that, that it comes in and dump it in a paper bag and put it in the freezer and the ice won't stick together. I never heard totally of new. This is like this is like weird science. Are you serious? Yeah, they said transfer your ice to a paper bag to avoid the ice from sticking together. They said it's a trick that many people um, in the restaurant industry know. So if you're buying the ice for cocktails or something, you know, many times you buy the ice, you put it in the car, whatever, and then you have to break it, break it up because yep. it's all kind of stuck together. They said, but as soon as you get it, when you get home, well, it's still. Um, still hasn't kind of frozen together. You dump it into paper bags, regular old paper bags, and put it in the freezer and uh, the, the ice won't stick together. So that's another I thing I've got to try. Wonder what the, I wonder what, what, what principle even governs. <laughs> I have governs no idea. That. Like I'm scratching my head like paper, absorbent, freezer. Yeah. So I'm going to try this to see if they actually, so there's the, if you're watching the video, there's actually a bag that has a big M on it and says ice and McDonald's ice. So I, I was... Uh, that was a new one on me, so I was surprised. Where'd to hear you find about it. So this? A, it was. Um, you're gonna laugh. It it was on social media on a. It was served up from Reader's Digest. There you go. And you and I, we our household as a child had Reader's Digest. I bet yeah. yours did too, right? And so, yeah, my grand my grandmother always always got it, but I I looked, but when it said. Um, you know, it says, here's, here's, here's why you should get your ice at McDonald's from now on. It was like, McDonald's ice? What are you talking about? <laughs> so I think I, it's brilliant. This is great, Tim. This yeah. is a good one. So I read it. So I'm, I'm going to have to see, though, because I, I, I guess you can go through the drive-thru and get a couple bags of ice. I haven't been to McDonald's in a while. I have a craving. Richard won't let me go. I wanted you to want go. You want a cheeseburger? Although, or you want yeah, fries? cheeseburger and fries everybody and a milkshake everybody's talking about how the prices have gone so so crazy but uh, as everything's gone up but I, I i was thinking of uh i'd like to go through there usually when i travel on the road I'll, I'll that's my excuse so once a year or twice a year if i'm doing a road trip i'll stop but even going to connecticut recently i don't and there's really not many mcdonald's if you can believe it anymore a lot of it's burger king or something else i'm not a burger mm. king fan i don't know did you ever like burger king burger king's fine but we were McDonald's kids. Yeah. No ands if or buts about it. You and I have tried Long John Silver's. We've tried In and Out. We've tried, well, In and Out's particularly the West Coast. But um, who does the Square Burgers? White Castle, Wendy's, and then Wendy's. The, we yeah. we tried Wendy's. Yeah, but you know the the thing with McDonald's, the fries. No one else does the fries quite like Mickey D's, right? No, no, they're they're quite good. So maybe I'll do that for lunch. And I think the last <laughs> time I went to McDonald's was with you. That was in Florida years Tim, ago. That could have that would have been years ago. And then at like nighttime seven. too. Yeah. Yeah. And then had the nerve to go home and order pizza, I think. Didn't we do that too? <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. And and then we turned the stereo up and the next morning when we turned it on, we were like, was it that loud? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. 
So, hey, when uh, many of you know that Deep Discount is a partner of ours here on the Focus Group, and uh, you can get to Deep Discount by going to our site, focusgroupradio.com, clicking on the Deep Discount logo, and start shopping away in order to own your passion. And right now, they have a silent movie sale going on. So, uh, Mr. Nash, what did you find on the silent movie sale? First, I was thinking with silent movies, you know, we do have a go-to expert here on the focus group that Lauren introduced us to, uh, Ben Modal. Yep. yep. I was thinking of him. Am I saying it right? Modal or Modell? I think it's Modal. I think it's Modell. <laughs> and, <laughs> we'll say it wrong. <laughs> well, thanks. So I'm doing it wrong. But Ben... That way, no, that way we got it right. Either way. <laughs> but if you go to Deep Discount and you, and you do a search for by studio he has a company called Undercrank productions which has been re-releasing some amazing classic silent films so if you want to dive into silent film which when he talked to us about it had reached a pinnacle of an art form before sound came in and he wondered us what would have happened if silent films had been continued like if sound had been delayed something because they were really achieving some great things so i picked a movie um, which surprised me that there was a silent film available for this. It's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And we all know that's Jules Verne's famous uh, science fiction novel. And uh, this particular movie also incorporates elements from another Jules Verne book called The Mysterious Island. And it's uh, the movie delivers an astounding silent adventure. An American naval crew sent to investigate reports of a sea monster of a fateful encounter with the obsessed Captain Nemo, played then by Alan Holubar, and his fantastic submarine, the Nautilus. Amazing underwater footage and color-tinted sequences are a highlight. Um, it's silent with a music score, and it's 104 minutes, so it's like an hour and a half, hour and a half, something like that. A little over an hour and a half. Um, I was just surprised to see this because my 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea association is with the Disney movie, um, you know, which came out, and then they had to ride the whole bit, but Right. Cool to see this. And I think you and I stayed in fantasy land because let's see what you picked. Well, you know which one I would, well, yes. So I, I, I hunted through it. I almost picked the Phantom of the Opera, but I think I've told, I would tell you that horrible story about Phantom of the Opera and me mm-hmm. out, out West. Yeah. So it was just, a, I don't think I could sit through it again. But um, so I, I uh, so I was poking around and I found Alice in Cartoon Land. And I didn't quite know what it was, but I was intrigued by the cover, of course, which you should never do, right? And uh, so I started reading about it, and um, the uh, description here is, early in his career between 1923 and 1927, Walt Disney produced the Alice series of cartoons. So they said it's not just the mouse. Of course, everybody knows, uh, knows Mickey Mouse and the Mickey Mouse cartoons. They said these delightful cartoons owed their success to both a clever use of special effects cartoon characters interacting with a live young girl cleverly superimposed within the frame and very breezy humor. Humor. The cartoons on this DVD have remarkable clarity because they were transferred directly from 35mm nitrate negatives. Film. And so I, I mean, so it's a DVD. It's uh, twenty one twenty one is the price. It's in black and white. So I immediately went, it was just released in 07 through Kit Parker Films, and it's uh, directed by Walt Disney. So I went and looked at some previews of them. And just smiled because it was very Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse to me. Seriously? It had a very Pee Wee Playhouse-esque effect. Remember Pee Wee would play some of the old cartoons and stuff? Yeah. And then Pee Wee would be superimposed over some of them. I mean, this was the same uh-huh. sort of thing. And I just laughed because there is this, this young girl in you know, human form that's um, kind of inserted into these cartoons. 
So I just thought for anybody interested in, in cinema or cartoon as you are, and that, that the creative aspect and the use of special effects here was pretty cool. So I picked uh, Alice in Cartoonland. Did you find this on uh, the preview on uh, YouTube? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. You, I, you're, I, I, you're clever. Like, I don't always think of doing that because that, I, I should check if there's a preview for the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea thing as well. And I'm going to look on and check out the Alice in Cartoonland because when you sent this over, I wasn't quite sure what I was looking at. Now that you described it, and you've added that layer of peewee on, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes on the deep discount site, they will have a preview there embedded. Yeah. And um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I guess it depends upon rights and who has licensing rights and so forth. But pretty much you can find a lot of stuff on YouTube before somebody takes it down. I mean, we just got dinged again. I don't know if you told one of our shows, apparently we had something that was copyrighted and I got an email that they want us to take it down. I ignored it. But... Um, <laughs> I just can't remember that happened. What it is, Tim? Remember that happened the whole time. With, oh, um, there was the music. You and I got oh, they. They, they sometimes do this scouring thing. Yeah. All right. So anyway, moving on with deep discount. Uh, we do have a new release this week, and it's the Marvels, um, which came out a little while ago. Carol Danvers, aka Captain Marvel, has reclaimed her identity from the tyrannical Cree. When her duties send her to an anomalous wormhole, her powers are entangled with superfan. Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Ms. Marvel, and Carol's estranged niece, astronaut Captain Monica Rambeau. Together, so the three of them kind of become uh, the Marvels. Together, this unlikely trio must team up and work together to save the universe. So that is the Marvels, now available on 4K Ultra HD for $29.99 at deep discount. So it's a silent film sale, um, and we highly recommend you check out a whole bunch of silent films. If you want to add to your library and you don't know much about it, there's some really great ones. You could start with Chaplin, Buster Keaton, but I picked naturally going down the science fiction bandwagon, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which I never knew existed, but it's a silent film version of the Jules Verne book. Uh, Tim picked Alice in Cartoonland, which has, which has, uh, if you are a Peewee fan, I, I, I just think the the threading of the live action with the cartoon Sounds like it's a lot of fun, and the clarity probably is amazing because they transferred this directly from 35 millimeter film, film negative, and the release this week is the Marvels. So you get to a deep discount by going to focusgroupradio.com, clicking on the deep discount logo, and start your shopping journey there. We are going to take a really quick break. When we come back, we have a business birthday and a quick shop talk for you. So we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now back to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere. Hey, welcome back to The Focus Group. Tim Bennett here with my good friend and co-host John Nash. We are the Focus Group. Be sure to follow along with us during the week on any of our social media, which is branded Focus Group Radio or the Focus Group. And uh, you can also go to focusgroupradio.com and find all of our media housed there, including our podcast, which is TFG Unbuttoned. So without further ado, Mr. Nash, we have our business birthday. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. So today's birthday, I actually thought we might have done this before, but I went back to our archive and I did not find it. But I did find somebody associated with him. Yeah. I did find someone associated with him that we actually did, um, did. a birthday yes, on. Did, yes, you're right. Yes. So um, Domingo Giardelli, 
so his real name was Domenico uh, Domingo Giardelli, but he uh, he had changed his name um, when he was in his kind of mid mid years, which we'll get to. But he was born February twenty first, eighteen seventeen, in Rapallo, Italy, and uh, his father was a spice merchant in Italy, and in his teens, Domingo went and worked for a chocolatier in Genoa. And so he learned how to make chocolate. At the age of 38, he moved to Uruguay. So Domenico, which was his name in Italian, he changed it to the Spanish Domingo. So that's how he changed his name. In 1838, he moved to Uruguay and then to Lima, Peru. And he established a confectionery there. And he began using the, uh, that's when he began using his name Domingo. And uh, he ran into a guy, James Lick. James Lick's the guy that we had talked to. He was from the U.S., from California. He's the guy who we profiled a few months ago. Mm-hmm. But um, he met him in, uh, in Peru and, uh, because he had bought 600 pounds of chocolate in, uh, in 1848 and didn't necessarily know too much what to do with it, but he wanted to bring it back to California <laughs> during the gold rush. So he convinced Domingo um, to go with him. Uh, back to California. So in 1849, they moved to California with these 600 pounds of chocolate, and they took it to San Francisco. And then they got caught up in the California gold rush, so they moved up to the mining camps to sell sweets and treats to the miners who were lacking the small pleasures of life, they said. So they spent uh, a few months in the gold fields near uh, Sonora and Jamestown before uh, becoming merchants and opening a store in Ornitos, California. So eventually they moved in 1852 to San Francisco and established a Giardelli chocolate company in what is now known as Giardelli Square in San Francisco. And it's uh, California or San Francisco's most successful chocolatier. They said around the age, uh, around 1865, one of the workers at the Giardelli factory discovered that by hanging a bag of ground cocoa beans in a warm room, the cocoa butter would drip off, leaving behind a residue that could be converted into ground chocolate. So they said this technique known as broma, the broma process is still most commonly used today in the production of chocolate. Um, Giardelli is America's second oldest chocolate company. Uh, originally founded, they're uh, using the date of 1852. One, among one of the first globally to develop and transport ground chocolate for drinking and baking. He was married like twice. Cocoa and yeah. Yeah. He was married twice, had eight children. He died in 1894 in Italy from influenza. His body was brought back to California. He's buried at the Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland, California, along with the rest of his family. Mr. Giardelli. It's called. Do you like Giardelli? That's Sean? a good. 76 for that time period is not a bad age. He, he looked no, to a pretty good age. Good age now, right? Yeah. <laughs> You got a point there. You have an excellent point there. This is a, I like this birthday, by the way. Um, are you a fan of Ghirardelli chocolate? You know, I like the so I like the little ones that come in the little individual squares, like you pictured here. Yeah. They've got the they've got the mint uh, or the caramel, 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 caramel. And uh, I I do like it. I um I always thought it's funny though. It's it's like Häagen Dazs, right? The, the the thought was that it it was some exotic chocolate from Europe. But it's from California. Yeah. So it's, you know, but the name Ghirardelli, I always assumed it was, uh, you know, somewhere in Europe. So I'm thinking that Ghirardelli... Is it Ghirardelli or Ghirardelli? 
I say Ghirardelli, um, but it, I, it, yeah, that could that could be wrong. You know, you know, my pronunciation of certain words is also not exactly up. We to were, at, we you know, John. We were in experimental school in Connecticut. We, we, as my professors told me, out to grammar. You were out to lunch at grammar. Yeah. So yeah, and, and meaning like when I, I used to think penultimate meant meant the next to the ultimate, but it was next to last because um, it sounds like it should be. So I don't disagree with you. <laughs> Thank you. And then of course I still never get debacle debacle right. Right. Yeah, debacle. <laughs> I remember I wrote a paper in college and I used the word inclusive for somebody <laughs> who's who's influential. And the professor's like, "What is this?" I said, "Someone who's influential is inclusive." He says, "There's no such word." I said, "Yes, it is." And I argued with him for quite some time until he, because you find me where the word is. I still think it should be a word, inclusive. But did you ever succeed in, in meeting the bar of finding the. Uh, no, because like it doesn't exist. Okay. I made it I made it up. But I, instead of being influential, I thought inclusive. He's inclusive. <laughs> it's like inclusive. And I had it all throughout the paper. He's like, where did this come from? It was circled in red. I said, someone who's influential. Because that's not a word. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> you can imagine tim is a lot like alicia silverstone in the movie clueless where she tells her dad she argued her way from a c to a b or something he's like good girl like we would have these arguments with our high school teachers it flew back then doesn't fly in college right no no but you know i'm sure yeah no so anyway happy birthday to uh ghirardelli 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 How, however we ghirardelli, say it. Yeah. ghirardelli yeah San Francisco. Have you been to the store in San Francisco, the flagship? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, that, that's like a must-see. You have to go down there. Yeah. I, I kind of like it more than, because um, I was trying to think, what's the other one? What's What are the other chocolates? Uh, well, there's Godiva. Hershey there's, was probably the big, biggest competitor when, when he right. started, right? Right. Then Godiva, you have Ferrero Rocher. You have Russell yeah. Stover. You have Ghirardelli, right? Godiva. I tell you, I like a Whitman sampler. <laughs> Nothing wrong there, right? I do like a witness. I, I see on sale once in a while. I'll get one. <laughs> and does it still have that quaint needlepoint look? To oh, it, yeah. 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 I love it's always that. on sale at the Giant, <laughs> which I always find quite funny. <laughs> it was I made love. a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, our shop talk today, um, John had found this, and I, I found it quite interesting. Something similar happened to me many years ago. But the headline is, this woman withdrew from the interview process after being told she was the strongest candidate. The reasons are instructive for any hiring manager. So this was a New York-based copywriter, uh, Lauren Baer, and she was um, interviewing for a position. I guess it was a copywriting position. Yep, full-time. And she felt like she was given the runaround. You've talked about this as well. You've experienced with friends and so forth about almost the incessant level of interviewing, come back, do more, do more, do more, when in many cases... You're either told you're the strongest candidate or one of the best candidates, and rather than hiring you or hiring the person, they end up still putting you through hoops to the point of aggravation from a lot of people. And that was my, my takeaway on this. And she, she put together four, I think it was one, two, three, four, six, um, seven Little quotes, diff right? different quotes of things that people should, or that hiring managers or companies should be aware of when interviewing somebody based on, based on her experience. And uh, you obviously thought this was pretty good because you found this. What what was your takeaway on this this story? Well, she she did a couple things where she said she was interviewed with uh, her. The interview process itself sucked up a lot of her time. Yeah, I had interviewed five different team members, including the CEO. All of them agreed I was, and I quote, the strongest candidate. Then the CEO said they were down to two people. 
So she says, if you're telling a candidate they are the strongest, why aren't you offering them the job? And why are you telling them there are multiple, and are they telling the multiple candidates they're the strongest one? And she says to the company, remember your goal is to fill the position with someone who can do the job. Then she, the next thing they come back to her, and Tim, I don't know if you've experienced this with please create a presentation or a marketing right. plan, the, the, the work, right? But at the last minute, they wanted me to complete another writing exercise on top of the two she had already done and they had already liked. Not to mention uh, there was only meant to be one when the hiring process was outlined. So not only did they tell her she was the best, but they're down to two. Can you please do another writing exam? I mean, she I mean, said, so she went here. ahead. Right, no, she went ahead to do the third one, and she thought this one is ill-defined. There's no real parameters to it. She said, "I hope everybody who's interviewing is it's equitable. We're all doing the same sort of assignment." And she said, "You know, the issue was she also had her own site um, where she had numerous samples of her writing that they could have looked at as well." And um, so her her deal here is that she should have been given a more clear guideline, and uh, it was really. Um, I want to say not a waste of time, but really it did chew her time up. It was a waste I, of time. Her time. Yeah. 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 She said it had me questioning whether they knew what they were looking for in the first place, whether this was symptomatic of a bigger internal problem, even their ethics. So that's when she had the, she made the decision to withdraw. Yeah. And then, then she said that there was, um, that she, she was told again that she was one of the strongest candidates. But um, after she ended up withdrawing herself from the, from the process and was like, okay, I'm done. I've invested enough time in here. I was told I was one of the strongest and one of the top two, yet they keep wanting to come back with more. So she ends up withdrawing from the, um, from the process and then sees that the job's posted again. So she, she thinks, you know, the moral of that story is, well, they either there were not two people or the other person got tired of the process as well, but now they're back to square one again trying to find somebody. And uh, whereas they could have hired her, and um, I've heard I've heard this more than not recently in mm -hmm. terms of people going this, this through is more being, common, right? Yes, be, being ghosted or can you do this? Can you do this? Can you come back? That was the other thing she said. She she interviewed with a group of people, then they wanted to come back for another group. She's like, put it all in one day. I think I told you I had interviewed with a company and I stopped at midday. I I, I went to the HR person and left. And um, for the same sort of thing, I was going, they, they were asking me questions that were so basic marketing 101 that it was insulting. And so I had two interviews, I'm going into my third, and then I was going to go to the HR woman, then I was going to have to have lunch with a group, then have three or four more interviews in the afternoon. And I went to the HR person, I just said, I, I, I'm just not a fit. I said, this is not going to work. I said, if you're asking me as the position I came from, would a, a, bis, a business-focused Have you ever done a business-focused marketing plan? I said, if it's not business-focused, you're, you're in the wrong marketing. Can you imagine asking such a stupid-ass question as a CFO? So, um, and the place was a dump. That was the other thing. The environment Ooh, was just shitty. Tim, that's a big one. Big and one. I thought, if it's this dirty and unkept, and what a horrible environment to work in. And uh, it was an automotive automotive affiliated company, but it's just I just said it's not not for me. I had an experience a couple of years ago. I think it was right after that pandemic. I've told you about this. It was a veterinarian group, and um, they wanted to just say hello and have me in. That's what I thought. What they didn't tell me was I was going to be there for the entire afternoon. We're talking oh four or five God. hours. And it was person after person until finally the the money guy behind the operation <laughs> came in. And Tim and I had just completed a major <laughs> branding campaign for a high-end <laughs> cannabis company out in Denver. And we're talking 
they had the budgets for this stuff, or at least we thought they did. Um, so the guy says to me, you know, I can create a brand for 15,000. I'm mm. like, you're going to get a certain kind of brand. Well, what do you mean by that? I'm like, it, by the time I, I left there, I, I left that room and the guy that brought me in said, well, what do you think? And I said, I'm fried. I'll get back to you. Like I, and I was ghosted after that. And then it, like, I think three months later, they said, thanks for coming in. It was like such a complete waste of time. And it was so demoralizing that it really makes you wonder. And I think she even concludes the article with something similar and where she says, um, this is a job. There is always a risk that you'll hire the wrong person, but you need the good enough person. It doesn't have to be the perfect person. If you start to think you need perfection in a candidate before you extend an offer, take a look in the mirror and be grateful no one required you to be perfect for your job. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> but Tim, you've had, you and I have both had experiences. It's... Well, during one of these interviews, the person said to me, you know, I don't understand. He goes, you know, we're in marketing and advertising. It's the same thing. No, it's not. I, sa I said, no, it's not the same. Yes, it's the same thing. Nope. So you knew right away, working in that environment, if they, if they think marketing and advertising are the same thing, um, you know right then and there that you're... Oh, it's like that guy said to me, I could do a brand for 15000 Really? <laughs> that, that might be a one-quarter payment to a designer to start working on a logo for a brand. I mean, you know what I'm getting at. Like, I could go you online. Know, you I know could our friend Mark of Mark and Carl, he told us he could do a bathroom for three hundred. We're still waiting. As is Carl. Whoa, whoa, so I'll, whoa, do your new, I'll do your bathroom over $300. I said $300 for a new bathroom. We were laughing. Yeah. Shouldn't he add a zero? A zero? A, a, a couple zeros. <laughs> <laughs> right? $300. Well, he's got taste. He's got great taste. Oh, yeah. No, sure but be... you're not doing a bathroom for 300 bucks unless you're just putting in a new toilet paper holder or something. And Tim, you have one from uh, that you should put on display. We, we still have ours. Do you? Yeah, I, get, I think you know, it's the doll. The, the yeah, I think mine, I think I yeah, I think mine got ruined. Oh, in the wet, how? In the wet. Maybe it was in the basement or something in the flood. Right? No, it was in it was in storage in the bathroom, and there was a leak, which I was unaware of, which actually ruined a lot of my college stuff, my fraternity pictures and everything. Uh, I was I was I was heartbroken at the whole thing because I had kind are of are they savable? Could they be scanned at all and touched? No, up no, they were so they were they got wet and then it just. Yeah. Stuck together, that it's filmed. So I've actually paper, had right? friends of mine send me, um, you know, they've scanned. The, yeah, they're not as good. I, I, I've got to figure something out. But at the end of the day, it's not like I'm going to hang them up. But I did like having the pictures to look back on. So. Yeah. No, I agree with that part. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, But I lost a lot of my little fun keepsake things like that. I was just telling someone back to this interview story about that first interview I had at a college, you know. At, at CBS Records at Black Rock in New York. Besides your friends and going oh, to I movies and hanging out, what turned you on as a person? She's With a, a cigarette. cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> when you could smoke in the office. Office, yeah. <laughs> there I am in my cheap gray suit and my my red tie, wondering <laughs> how to turned, answer this yeah. horrible woman. What turned you on as a person? You really want to know, lady? <laughs> you see, you can <laughs> get away with that, that stuff then. Is that right? a picture of your son there on the desk? He's not bad. <laughs> You I remember I showed up. That? I, I showed up to work one day when I first got the job at the steel. You know, we couldn't we couldn't feed a cat, right? We had no money, and you were supposed to wear a suit every day. Well, I didn't have enough money, so I thought, well, I'll mix it up a little bit. So I had a blue blazer and a pair of khakis, and I came in, and the boss looks at me and goes, "Go to a ball game today." <laughs> I was like, "What?" He goes, "You going to a ball game?" <laughs> what? 
But I had a shirt and a tie on. I just had a blazer and a pair of khakis. And then another time, he uh, he had asked me whether I had found a good barber yet since I moved to Philadelphia. I thought, hmm, I guess I need to get my hair cut. <laughs> but it was always those little, you know. <laughs> well, you remember, I, I, for a, a brief while, I used to have a little hoop ear oh, in my yeah, ear. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was my Judy, the the third boss I had. She had <laughs> in an elevator with her. She goes, are you going to wear a Christmas tree out of that ear at Christmas time? So she goes, I guess you, you could holiday theme it. <laughs> you knew where and that was elevator, going. She gets off, the elevator door closes, and the other person's like, you better get rid of that. <laughs> you and I had a lot of those things pop up, people telling us in this weird way how to do things. Anyway, I guess, how would you the summation of this shop talk is... Um, Companies are getting kind of crazy with screening, pre-screening, pre-interview, interviews, the whole bit. And I, I'm glad she pulled out. She pulled her candidacy out of it, and and then to see the job listing come up later proved her point. They didn't know what they were doing, right? They didn't no. know what they wanted. Nope. And we've seen that too many many times yeah. of of that. So, but no, I thought that was a good a good reminder that uh, in some of these cases they do waste a lot of people's time. <laughs> And they don't care. They don't care. Yeah. And, and here you are. And, and then they always tell the applicant, don't seem desperate. Don't seem like you have to want, you have to have the job. I mean, there's all these little rules about it, which is crazy. Yeah. Anyhow, that's the show for today, folks. We've covered a lot of different bases. It started out with Ice Ice Baby. We had a little bit of Mel Blanc, which Tim didn't know was coming. A visit with a deep discount. A, a chocolate birthday. Chocolate you have to birthday. love Ghirardelli. And then we had this resume, or this getting, job interview thing. screwed so, in the hiring process. <laughs> that was tim that's you could tell you took journalism you got it right down to the headline right <laughs> we want to remind everybody to check out our partner deep discount by going to focusgroupradio.com clicking on the deep discount logo and start shopping away they have a silent film sale um, we picked we could rewind and hear some of our picks and of course we always say we like to say don't text and drive arrive alive texting is not for behind the wheel unless you're talking to the car. You know how you could do that? Like, send a text. So everybody have a great week, and we'll see you in the new one. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.